HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. I hope everyone is having a safe and sane start to their new year. It is still crazy out there. So please take time to check in with yourself, with your loved ones, and we are all going to get through this together. We are so excited to be kicking the year off with Chef Roy Choi, who is back for season two of Broken Bread, premiering on Taste Made, KCET, Tuesday, January 25th at 8 p.m. Pacific. It is an incredible season. I have seen all the episodes. That is the perk of working at Taste Made, and it is a stunner. Congratulations to everyone at Tastemade and KCET who put their blood, sweat, and tears into the show. It really rings true. Roy and I chat about the new season, about the food in the new season, about how the pandemic has really brought to light the issues that season one talked about, and him sitting down with the new guard, the old guard, all the chefs in between, and how it helped him become what is now an ambassador to the food world and the stories and trends and everything that affects the kitchens and the community beyond. It's a great conversation. We're so happy to sit down with him again. But please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Chef. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Always good to hear from you. So nice to be sitting down with you once again to yeah, celebrate the launch likewise. of season two, Broken Bread. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. When we made season one, I never even thought there would be a season two. Well, I mean, that's that's actually what I want to start off with. You know, a lot of times you make a season one and it's a whirlwind and it's just like, this is crazy. You're making a TV show and it all comes out. But you get the special thing in making a season two. What got you excited about it? Like going back into the, the storytelling, going back into production, looking back at season one, what did you want to change? What made you excited to get back into production again? Well, there are a few things that got me excited. Um, obviously, collectively as humans, we went through the pandemic, mm-hmm. which exposed a lot more that that we had already started to talk about, mm-hmm. you know? So some of the things that we started talking about in season one and things that, you know, drive a lot of what I care about and think about every single day of my life. A lot of those things we thought maybe they were at their worst place already. Hmm. Hmm. And then the t- pandemic just punched another hole through it all, you know, and showed us that there are levels to it, mm-hmm. that it goes even deeper. And so that just in itself was like, okay, you know, like there is still meaning and purpose behind Broken Bread, that they're, they're, that they're, that this show, maybe even that this show was a little ahead of its time in its way. Not in, mm-hmm. I'm not talking like in some, you know, like egotistical artistic format. Oh, I'm no, just saying that maybe we weren't all open to or aware of, uh, of confronting problems because they didn't affect everyone yet you know Mm -hmm. but then now these issues that seem so far away for maybe certain sectors of society are are now you know very real very personal so now the show resonates a little more um the other thing is that uh you know i looked at everything i went through with season one and then i went through a lot of changes in life between season one and filming season two Mm -hmm. and um you know, I decided to, you know, because, you know, as a chef, I know this is a food podcast. As a chef, yeah. for a lot of us that, that toe the line between entertainment and blue-collar work, which is what we really do, you know, uh, behind, the, behind the stove every day, it's a mind fuck, you know. It really yeah. is. It's like we're, we're self-conscious. We're constantly hard on ourselves. We're, we're unable to confront our true purpose, our true value. We're halfway in, halfway out, you know. Um, and I just decided, you know, after looking at everything that, you know, one doesn't have to take away from the other. And let me try to be as good a TV host as I am a cook. You mm-hmm. know, let me l- let it not just be like, oh, I'm a cook first. And this is just something I do on the side. I I, I, I really made an effort for those to live in their own silos and their own worlds. And um and I went in and I just thought that I had something more to say. I, I, I thought that I could work on the way that I interact with the camera more. You know, um, I have a kind of a a personality and a face built for radio. And I just thought no, that maybe. You're a no, handsome I, you man. Know, you're a handsome man. But, I, I, but I'm very quiet. I'm yeah. my, I don't have many mannerisms. I'm not sure. good at karaoke. I don't dance. All these things, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just thought that maybe like. Um, that I could, I could, I could improve. That's really it. And so there's that personal side. There's everything we went through, and um, 
And then it's just the teams really believed in me, you know, Tastemade mm-hmm. and KCT and PBS. And um, they wanted to make a show that built upon season one and make it, you know, bigger, better, invest more in it. And, yeah. you know, it just all sounded great. Now, I want to get into the pandemic and what that exposed to more of the mainstream in a little bit. But I want to talk about the food of this season because the food this season, beyond it being beautiful, beyond it making me want to crawl through my screen and hop over to Avenue 26 or go down to to, uh, Chinatown or book a car down to Tijuana, Mm -hmm. it really represents the people and it's delicious. And there's something about when you sit down with a plate of food, the stories and the openness you get out of, of others. How did you pick the food? you were going to cook this season. What were some of the better moments, you know, cooking with Wolfgang, sitting, breaking bread with Alice Waters. And how did you approach the food stories you wanted to tell for season two? You know, in building, I'm glad you noticed all that because there was a conscious and concerted effort to go deeper, to be more Mm -hmm. cinematic, you know, Mm -hmm. and to really, to really find the foods and the chefs and the, and the restaurants and the street vendors that, that were fully integrated into the stories that we were telling. And, um, you know, with any television show or any, any project, you have what's called pre-production. Sure. And the process of pre-production for broken bread is a, it's a mixed bag of things. One, we have a really, really amazing team, and we have the libraries and the resources of public television, but we also have the young minds and the outreach of a multimedia company like Tastemade. So we have this beautiful inter- interaction and intersection and worlds of like kind of like old world and new world and like library and and social media, and we have just all of this stuff coming together. Um, you, and then then I'm kind of like the third wheel to all of this, where I have my relationship directly with the people through social media, through Twitter, through Instagram, mm. you know, because everything that I am publicly was built first upon grassroots. Right. And so whenever I have a project or I have a question or I'm looking for something, you know, I go to the people first. And so – we have this intersection of research, archives, young minds, collective co- collective coming together, and then we have the people. And so when we decided to do the show, I just go out there and I say, here's what we're looking to do in season two. Mm. If any of you know anybody doing anything in this area in farming or that's fighting for, you know, a a neighborhood or is fighting against the processed food system within education or whatever the topic is. I just throw it out there. We get, we got like over a thousand submissions. Incredible. And I would say out of those thousand submissions, probably like five or six, maybe even more made it to the show, you know? Wow. And, um, and then, um, you know, and, and a lot of it is also just research, Mm-hmm. It's a lot of research um, going beyond the headlines, going beyond just what's popular and just really digging into a neighborhood, calling friends, um, going outside of our circles and outside of our professional circles 
um, especially for places like Tijuana. Sure. You know, yep. Where, you know, sometimes what I hate about food shows, and it's not the fault of the producers or mm-hmm. or the talent, but sometimes our food world, we cover the same people uh-huh. over and over. It's a bit incestuous in a way. Right. And, um, and, they, and it's almost like they're kind of, they're, you know, it's almost like there's like a, a, a casting list of people that fit the, the role of what you want to cover in that, in that area. And um, it's not that those people aren't important, but we just wanted to, we just wanted to find more voices. And the only way you do that is to break out of your own individual and insular bubble. And sometimes you got to ask your grandma. Sometimes you got to ask your cousin. Sometimes you got to ask your friend. Sometimes you got to ask your mechanic, you know, like just like outside of this. Yeah. You know? But that's the beauty of food is that yeah. you start pulling out a thread and go, where do you get, yeah. where do you get your food? Where do you get your bread? Where do you get, yeah. you know, your groceries? What do you do? What, what's your meal? And you start going like, oh, this has importance to this community. And it's not this, okay, I'm looking at the media cycle. I'm looking at yeah. all this different, the same names and things like that. Um I want to go back to what you were talking about before about how season one was a little bit ahead of its time because mm-hmm. you being a chef and or and also being within the restaurant world, you know, right before March 2020, you could argue as a golden age of restaurants and oh, between yeah. where you could drop into any city and get a crazy meal or, you know, find the best taco truck and and the secret was that all the whispers were like, there's a labor shortage and like labor costs are really tough and food costs and we're this week's money goes into next week's groceries and things like that. But it was tough to complain because it looked so big, mm-hmm. but the pandemic really said it was a house of cards and it had already fallen and now it's blowing in the wind. You can't even pick up the cards. Mm-hmm. So how did you dig into that more in season two and bring your chef knowledge to it yeah. saying that, Hey, like, We've been talking about this for a while and we need more help than just say buying. It's cool if you buy a hat or a t-shirt, but like we need real changes. We need real help. We need people to stop being exploited. This is how we're looking at how the restaurant industry is going to change for real. Yes. Well, thank you. I mean, you succinctly touched on everything perfectly. Um, It's hard sometimes when you are so sensitive and in tune, you know, with the, with the, problems that exist and especially us as cooks we're solution-based people Mm -hmm. you know and you're trying you're very clear on what needs to be fixed or what needs you know like if i'm prepping and setting up for service it's just you know maybe it's too simplistic but i don't think it is but it's you're not going to put a a a ninth pan of rotten beets on your line because Mm -mm. you know exactly you know it's rotten and then yeah. you then you investigate how it got rotten. You realize that it was sitting under maybe the cooler in the in the walk in, and it was something was dripping in it all the time. And then you fix it, right? You don't let things just fester if you once you notice it. But that's not how it is in the real world. If we us as in, it's re, it's such a strange phenomenon that us as humans we're aware of these problems. That exists, but we just let them be. We let them be, you know. Oh, and yeah. For cooks, it's we don't we can't understand that. And um, yeah. But at the same time, you can't you can't hit everyone with everything all at once, right? And um, 
before March 2020, it was a golden age because everything was peaking. Everything mm. was peaking. Um, and, but not everyone had, had experienced yet the realities of life. People could still pick and choose what they wanted and what they wanted out of something. Um, so if they wanted the best out of Epas, I know you're in New York, if they wanted the best out of Epas in Corona, Queens, they could just pick that out and not even consider or, or open themselves up to anything mm-hmm. around it that may be detrimental. You know, I'm they can just pop in and thing. out. One thing. I don't care about the community. That's it. That's it. And you, and you were never forced to even consider that you were contributing, mm. maintaining a broken system or whatever the case may be. But now in March, whatever, 2022, we can we can't just ignore those things anymore because we've all been affected by them, and um, you know, I I just think at that time, season one, maybe even the world and other things, there wasn't a way to completely hit people over the head with the injustices mm-hmm. of the system because people would just tune you out. You know, you're just a buzzkill. You know, I'm contributing. I'm helping these people. Why are you trying? You don't want my money. You know, it, it, there there are arguments behind that back then where people would say, well, I'm giving you my money. You don't want my money. Um, I don't want to deal with all the other things. But but now we're in a place where I think people can finally listen a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and understand that, you know, we are in a very fragile system that there is no safety net and that it's not just good enough to say that you are a fan of the food or that you're an ally. Um, You know, these systems are severely broken, you know, Mm -hmm. and we, we tried to tell that through this show, but even now, even with everything that happened, I still have to use entertainment as a vehicle you know, because if we were to just take this show yeah. as a transcript, right, and mm-hmm. with, with no cinematography, no anything, and we were just to list the issues that we're covering, even now after everything we've gone through, a, a lot of folks don't want to hear it, you no. know. And so even now we still have to use entertainment as a bit of a tool to figure out how do we get the message further. But the positive side is that I do feel – I do feel collectively we're open to it more and that um, that maybe change can it feels a little more real, mm-hmm. um, but I'm not sure mm. because um, because even with all of the the stuff that went on, you know, with the IRC and fighting, you know, with no yep. us without you, with undocumented workers, with migrants, with people being forced into, you know, being deported and, and, you know, restaurants folding within three days of the pandemic and, you know, all these things, they're still, they're still. Still stalled in Congress. It's still, yeah. It's still There's stalled still in, no legislation. Still in no place. legislation. Still, Two years later. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. Listen, we're going to take a quick break because I want to come yeah. back and talk about uh, some of the places you visited and some okay. of your evolution as well. Uh, we have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're sitting down with Chef Roy Choi, host of Broken Bread, season two, coming out Tastemade KCET on January 25th. You mentioned in the first act that you've gone through a lot of personal changes and, and evolutions yourself. And I was really surprised by the Far East Plaza Chinatown episode where you returned to where you had sort of got your launch. And what I didn't realize is the weight on your shoulders of what you had done to bring a spotlight to that community and the subsequent, I don't want to say gentrification, but Mm -hmm. the changes in this neighborhood and how personally you took it. And now you talk about also being an entertainer and using your voice and bringing a spotlight to it because you've gotten to that sort of of, uh, being able to amplify problems and issues on TV and your different resources. How are you balancing shining the spotlight on the things that matter to you, bringing us a, a spotlight to people who are smaller than you and have great stories to tell 
with the responsibility that you feel you have for changing communities mm-hmm. when your only intent was really just to like give back to the community to bring good food yeah. or different food or support the people around you. Well, you know, we, we always knew we wanted to do an episode on gentrification. Mm-hmm. Um, we just wanted to find the broken bread way of mm-hmm. telling that story because there are so many stories, op-ed pieces, um, you know, uh, New Yorker articles, New York Times articles, shows, CNN shows, you know, uh, political debates, um, you know, there's everything, you know, um, there's so many angles to what gentrification is and how it has become such a big part of, you know, modern society. Um, we just wanted to personalize it a little more to figure out how do we take it away from this big word sure. and this big concept yeah. and how do we, how do we make it so that it just feels a little more, it feels smaller. It feels like you could touch it. It feels like mm. you, you, that it, it, it really, you could feel the pain of it that you could, um, that you could understand uh, the implications of it, you know, cause sometimes we're, we're only given the information from a very macro point of view and we're given right. like the bullet points of it. But we, we just wanted to figure out how can we tell a story like that? And, you know, um, you know, in pre-production, we were all, you know, we went through like a million different renditions and I don't know, one day I just woke up and I was like, what if we use my own personal story? Mm. And everyone, everyone like kind of sat up in their chair, you know, and uh, it was like, exactly. You know, yeah. And then the biggest question from the team was, are you willing to put yourself out there? And I was like, yeah, I have, you know, I have nothing to lose. And if by putting myself out there, if it can help, you know, um, the people that are being displaced, if it could at least start the conversation or bring awareness to it, mm-hmm. um, then, then it's worth it. And, you know, so we just tried to use that. We, you know, it started with the question, you know, can you still be a gentrifier if you're from that neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Even if your parents were like the legacy business themselves, but they got mm-hmm. too old and they handed you the keys, but you made maybe the most popular chocolate shop, you know, that, right. that Snacky Tunes covers, you know, and that or every Thai restaurant or Thai restaurant, you know, yeah, that, that, that covers. And then are you still a gentrifier? All you did was take your family's business yeah. and put your personality behind yeah. it. But there is argument that you are, you know? So I, I just really try to understand that point of view and, um, and really go again, look back at who I was, who the food world was, who the city was at that time. Um, because Chego did, it did, start spark the revolution for Chinatown to become labeled as the hottest food um, neighborhood in Los Angeles, you know, and it did bring in 20, 25 new entrepreneurs, you know, Um, it did bring in, you know, and give opportunity to really, really great artisans and vendors, you know, but at the same time, what I didn't know what was going on at that same time that, you know, that an endorphin coffee was coming in, that a Pearl River Deli, that a that a steep tea shop, you know, that a um that a now serving bookstore, yeah. as these stores are coming in that are bring no harm at all, that have no intention to harm, 
the developers and the landlords yeah. were using this opportunity to raise their rents, shut off water, and kick people out that had no voice, that couldn't speak English and couldn't stick up for themselves. And I didn't know I didn't know any of this was happening because Chego made Chinatown the hottest new neighborhood. And once I started to learn all that, it really, really, it really hurt me. It really like, mm. it really just sunk its nails into my whole soul. And um, it just took me a long time to figure out how to confront it. And I think Broken Bread was finally the way that I could confront it, that I could give opportunity to people like Sissy to tell us the truth of what's really good. Whether we want to hear that ugly truth or not, she's going to tell us mm-hmm. that this building, that landlord shut off the water. You know, And that's because that landlord knew because of Chego that the world's attention and the media's attention was on this. So instead of before where no one cared about Chinatown, he could only get $800 a month for that. He can now charge $3,800 for it. So why wouldn't any landlord want to, you know, 3000 times or whatever their money. Yeah. And you know, that stuff really, it really hit home. And so I, you know, we use that story to try to find answers. And I think, I think in that episode, we came up with some answers of this cooperative economic development process, where if you are going to go into a neighborhood that is marginalized, like a Chinatown or a Brooklyn or, um, you know, a Boyle Heights, you know, um, that they, it does come with costs. You can't just come in and play innocent anymore. Mm-mm. You can't just come in and say, hey, I'm just trying to open a tea shop or I'm just trying to open a chocolate shop or whatever. If you are choosing that neighborhood, it has to come with a little bit of responsibility. And that's something and I didn't know at that time. Yeah. Yes. And so is that a surcharge? You know, so we as a consumer are part of that responsibility too. Yeah. So is that a surcharge? Mm. Where every pizza that gets bought at whatever new pizza shop in in a marginalized neighborhood because rent is cheap, but then the food media ha- you know hovers to it. Do we pay instead of just paying fifteen dollars for the pizza? Do we also pay four dollars on top of that because we know we're in this neighborhood and that money goes to a fund that funds a committee that works in between development and you know and preservation. Um, so that there is an oversight committee that can fight for it. And that involves developers as well and taxation and all this stuff. So, so I think that there's a way where it doesn't have to be that you can't go into a neighborhood, you know, where you, you know, cause there, it, it does no one any good if a n- neighborhood just sits empty sure. when, the, when it can grow, but it can't just grow and displace everyone. So that, you know, we just try to find those answers. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the chef perspective that you got for yeah. a lot of the season because, you know, talking to Johnny at PRD or Chef Leia at BU is fantastic because yeah. you get this new generation of chef and like what they're trying to do different. But then you also sit down with Alice and Wolf. Wolfgang. Wolf, yeah. Wolfgang. Like my personal friends, Alice and Wolfgang, you know, who I yeah. know so well. Yeah. But I really like the fact that you didn't just go like, here's the new chefs and here's what we're doing. It's yeah. like, it's great to be like, here's a couple of people who have survived in the industry for decades. Yeah. What did you learn from both sides of that coin of the conversation? What did, what did the new class mm-hmm. of the old guard bring to it in offering a, a new path forward? You know, and I thought that was authentic and honest to the show because me as a, as a chef and as a, as a food 
you know, person in the industry, I've been able to walk that line where I don't see high or low, or I, I'm, a, I'm able to yeah. blur the lines. You know, that's what I do. That's the food that I cook. That's the, you know, I can be in Copenhagen on one end and I can be on the streets on another end. You know, I can yeah. have a restaurant in Las Vegas, but also be, you know, you know, on the foodie, you know, circuit, whatever, you Cooking know, tacos and so, and the, and yeah, the you know, yeah. and, and, um, you know, so for me, it, it was authentic to who I am as a host, to what the show is, to the restaurants that I have. But also what I learned personally was like that I wasn't alone. For example, meeting someone like Uyen at Bayou, mm-hmm. that I wasn't alone. You know, if you remember her episode, she says some specific things like, you know, there has to be a place where these things matter. You know, that... um I don't know if this is sustainable, but I know that these are the things that I stand for. Mm. I want to make sure that everyone makes a livable wage, that the food is affordable for the residents in this neighborhood that I'm in, which is mainly a neighborhood of color, you mm-hmm. know, and um, that I'm that I'm making the right decisions, that I'm paying everyone properly, that I'm that I'm not cutting corners, um, and you know, we're led to believe by doing the right thing that these things aren't profitable. Yeah. But what if we took profit out of the equation? And then then you get all the naysayers saying, well, business is only about profit. You know, how are you going to survive? You know, um, but meeting her, I, I, I met a kindred spirit, you know, because Kogi is is very similar to Bay to yeah. Bayou, where I mean, um, even local is similar and local to what, where yeah. in Kogi, we've never really raised our prices in 12 yeah. years. You know, we started the taco at two dollars. It's now two thirty five. You know what I mean? And all the things that have changed in the world. Yeah. And, um, but that's because we don't put profit first. Right. And, and sometimes when you're, when you have this philosophy or belief and sometimes you can feel very, very alone and, mm-hmm. and you can feel very ostracized because the world is just laughing at you. You know, I had business people throughout my career the last 10 years, just, just lecturing me and scolding me and laughing at me saying you're just a, a, a child you're naive this is not how the real world works um but this is my real world yeah i i i, I you know i believe as long as kogi is healthy that we're healthy as long as the team can be paid our purveyors are paid we have no debt but we don't necessarily make money that that is profit yeah. That's human profit. And so so I learned mm. that I wasn't alone. And then with 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 Wolfgang, what I learned was that he cared. Mm-hmm. You know, because you could you know you can take someone that has done everything that he's done in life mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to care. Mm-mm. You know. Um, but he does. You know, it, it's the equivalent of a Steven Spielberg or a Jordan. Or a Jordan caring about, like a you know, like a young filmmaker, you know, that barely has the equipment to even make the film. You yeah. Know? Um, and so I learned from Wolf that he cares, that he does want to do the right thing, and he's listening, mm. and that he's listening to younger voices like yourself, like me, like others. He wants to learn how he can help and do it. Mm. And from Alice, what I learned is that also that I'm not alone and that I can believe in some of the idealism that I 
that I hold so tight to my heart, you know, like bigger isn't better. Uh, time is not money. Yeah. You know, uh, to hear her say those things are things that I, that go through my head and my heart every single day of my life, mm. you know, but uh, sometimes I can't fully lay all those things on the table because the world will just laugh at you. You know, um, if you're saying, if you're going around and saying every, anything I have, you can have too. you know, if you're leading by generosity, kindness, people are always suspicious, you know, what's going on or you're stupid. People are going to take advantage of you. You know, you better be careful. Uh, that's not how the world works. You know, Roy, you're losing out, you know. Um, and when and what I learned from Alice is that, you know, there is, there there are allies out there that do, that there is a place for idealism. Mm. Because idealism is not idealism. It's only idealism to those that, that don't believe, you know. Or, or put action in. Yeah. So... To bring it a little full circle, to wrap it up, um, you know, you've done the chef game, you've been on the streets, you've really earned reputation as an elder statesman of the culinary world. You're in that conversation. And I know that you're talking about using entertainment and and the mantle and the responsibility Mm -hmm. that comes. How does it feel to now be this new ambassador to the outside world about kitchen and food Mm -hmm. issues and how it doesn't just affect the industry anymore. It affects all of us as, as a global community. You know, I'm very, uh, I'm very aware of that and I'm very sensitive and, and humbled by all of it. And I, and I just try like I would anything as far as like, if, you know, cooking goes, I just try to, I just try to be honest about it and, and put everything that I am and that I can and that I know into it. And I'm just trying to learn every day and be humbled by it and find new ways to get better at it. You know, um, you know, I take every little piece of everything I learn, you know, and I just try to get better at it, but also have confidence in putting my own flavor behind it, behind Mm -hmm. it, you know, um, you know, and so I realized that this is not just a side hustle anymore. Mm-mm. Like being a television host is, is a, is a real thing for me. You mm-hmm. know, I can't run away from it anymore. Uh, maybe in season one, I, I could, and even in the chef show, I could hide behind John a little bit, you know, sure. Um, sure. you know, John is my, is my brother and my friend, but he is, he's the man, you know, and I could, yeah. I could easily disappear a little bit behind him, yeah, 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 you know, but what now, what it is, is I, I, I have to look head on into the fact that I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a major food programming television host. Yeah. And, and what do I want to do with that? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, this season I think is a representation of that growth is the cinematography the soundtrack, the the timing, the music, the conversations, my uh, my interaction with the camera, you know, um, uh, the storytelling, and um, you know, and, and just the investment in trying to make the show as big, 
to feel as big and as entertaining as possible, you know? Um, and, you know, I approach it like a restaurant, you mm. know, like a brand new restaurant. You know, I'm just trying to create the best environment possible so that, uh, you know, and I'm looking at everything. No stone goes unturned, you know? And so, you know, sometimes I think maybe the team, they don't get frustrated with me, but it, it, it you know, I definitely, the thing that's made me better and I think that's made all of us better is I've, I've grown into my role. They already had their roles because they're television <laughs> professionals. You know what I mean? They were just waiting for me to figure yeah. this shit out, you know? So, but I've grown into my role yeah. where, where I'm looking at every little detail. I'm analyzing my own self. I'm analyzing how I could be better in this. I'm, I'm questioning the arc of the story. I'm involved in every little, every little piece, every little segment, every little scene, every little frame, you know, um, I'm watching the edits and, and the dailies over and over. I spent, you know, I'm not the official editor of shout out to the editors. Cause they did, they did all the work, but I'm working as long as they are. I, I I'm watching each episode for 40, 50, 60 hours, mm-hmm. you know, over and over and over again, just, you know, trying to do my part to, 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 um, to be a professional television host. And I think, I, I, I think I got a little better this season. I really well, do. I, I, I've, uh, I've seen the episodes and yeah. I'll say if I was a, a diner at restaurant broken bread, I'd be coming back yeah. many times over oh, to eat with you. you. Uh, congratulations. Season two premieres Tuesday, January 25th, 8 p.m. Pacific on Tastemade and KCET. If they want to follow you, your adventures, I know that you're going to be doing some posting, some supplemental yeah. stuff. Where can they find you? How can they uh, DM you with their own suggestions for you know <laughs> things for you to consider? Oh, uh, yeah. Slide into my DMs. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I am at Chef Roy Choi everywhere. Awesome. Well, Chef, thank you so much. Congratulations. I'm not just saying it because I work at Tastemade. It's a phenomenal season. I watched every episode. Loved it. So much stuff. I was just taking notes. I was like, I'm eating here. I'm reading about this. I'm following this organization. It's it's a great primer. That that was the goal. And I'm glad. I I mean, honestly, I want to, you know, I want to end with this. I know we're ending is everything you just said and your eyes and the feeling that I just felt and saw, that's that yeah. was the goal of the show. We wanted to make entertainment first. It's it's it, it, the message is disguised within the food. Yep. And within the within the idea that it's a food show, and all the food porn and all the 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 fine the food finds and all that stuff. But really, that's to lure you in to hear the message. And um, I'm just so glad that it resonated. We were so nervous about it because we just we wanted to make a show that felt prime time, you know, yeah. and I, I feel, I feel we did. You did again, maybe like we started this conversation, maybe the world's not ready yet. You know, maybe by season three, yeah. the world will have caught up to where this content will become prime time. Not yeah. maybe necessarily our show, but my dream as a human is that this, this content is on the same level and same value as dancing with the stars. I love it. Well, we whatever can dream, the case may be, you know, we can dream and, and you'll be one of the people to take us there. Thank you for the time. Thank Appreciate you. it. We got a song from the archives and then a live performance from the immaculates from the archives here on snacky tunes on hrn.org.
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin— bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. This week, we have the Immaculates in studio. Welcome. Welcome, uh, gents. Look, looking dapper. I, I can say uh, 
Last week, we had the boys of Mason Premier here looking dapper. They were the most dapper food guests. You now have the title of the most dapper band, so congratulations. Yeah. Right, thank you. Thank uh, you very much. Uh, you are taking my short and sleeveless look and making it even look more like um, I mean, I, I would say that I definitely thought about wearing a button-up button up shirt today and wearing it because I knew you guys would be wearing ties. Yeah, yeah it's had that effect, we've noticed, you know, sometimes. Yeah. We've, we just, because we're dressing up, like people who, you know, are at shows sometimes tend to just dress up. But I feel like that's a thing, like, you know, it's like uh, when we used to go to ska shows when we were in, yeah, high, yeah, you know, yeah. in high school, you, you uh-huh. know, like. Uh, I was never at a ska show. Okay, you bought me, you bought me tickets uh, bu- on our, bu- like, bu- 60 for just ska against racism. A seven-hour show fighting the good fight. Seven-hour show, 400 songs, all of them sound the same. So let's go around the room, introduce yourselves. Pick me up! Yeah, who plays what? What do you guys do? Let's do that. My name's Matt Convoy, and I play the bass. I'm Cyrus, I play drums. I'm Jay, I play pipes, I don't know, vocals. Who's the Don? That's our manager. He's not with us today. Oh, okay. He's actually, he's being held by... Customs, so he can't be. He won't be back in the country for a couple more. Oh, I gotcha. He's got a. I thought he was in Washington today, overseeing the uh, debt ceiling crisis. (laughs) Well, he's a lot of places. He's a man around town. A man around town. So, um, so uh, you guys had a fantastic show at DBA on Friday, and it's it's a it's a different type of sound because you're definitely pulling from some some of the soul and rock and roll stuff, but then you definitely have like a lot of that. I'm going to say hardcore punk influences as well with the the vocals and things like that. What's that look? No, we're looking at you. I'm just okay. you're making good observations. Yeah, these gentlemen, are, the, immaculate. These are observations. So, can you talk Res- to us respond about your influences and ab- about the sound that you're putting out because it's not like any other I think band hardcore seen. punk is accidental. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I could I could I could shave my head and do I could do a mohawk, but um yeah, I think it's, you know, we're it's really we're trying to do soul and we don't know how to do it. Um, and then everything else is an accident. Right. And it's like, I mean, this is like, especially the setup, you know, it's so simple with just like the bass and just the vocals and drums. It's just like a simple thing. So it kind of can, you know, the simplicity kind of makes it, you know, anything, Uh, you know, it's like, could be kind of Stooges-y. It could be kind of like this-y, but you know, we're really, we want to, we want to play solo. I think we're, and as this band is very new, we're, we're learning more and kind of like, you know, I mean, I definitely think a lot of soul music is based around the rhythm section, and then everything else, the horns, the strings, and things like that. And then the voice uh, really adds to the song. That's really where the soul of soul music comes from. <laughs> yeah. And you listen to early soul, and it's like, it's a lot dirtier and kind of like, I mean, it was also the recording techniques at the time, but it's like, so maybe it sounds like more of that. Maybe we'll evolve into being more, you know, regular. I don't know. It's just we we this band is an accident, and it's a, it's a it's a happy. How, how is it an accident? Well, I mean, really, what it was was we all wanted to be in a band that we would want to listen to at a party. And, oh, that's uh, a good place to start. I guess that's not an accident. And, but whatever. But it, but yeah. but it was kind of an accident that we ended up trying to play soul music, but that just seemed like the best fit. For what we were trying, I think what we all kind of we were actually at a party together playing soul music, and they were playing soul music. We're like, we should just play this. We that'd be fun, right? This summer because we're all of our other bands are kind of like you know, like writing or doing weird things or like I don't know, in some kind of weird, you know, we're not playing the summer, so we're like, let's just have a party band for the summer. We'll play people's houses. We'll sing out of amps. We'll just whatever, you know, like. One thing, if someone had described to me party band in Brooklyn with soul music inspiration. <laughs> I would go see it, but let, let's hear. Yeah, let's, let's, let's enough, enough, enough talking about an abstract. Yeah. All right. So, so, uh, so we got the Immaculates playing live on Snacky Tunes. 
And uh, what's, the, right. what's the first song? It's called Hey Joe Kelly. Okay, all right. Here we go. Take it away. Right. Uh, you are also the loudest band we've ever had on Snacky <laughs> Tunes. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. Uh, name that, that song. A- name that song again. Now, not the distorted microphone. All right. Um, it's Hey Joe Kelly. Do we, do we need a second? Have a sip of beer. Catch a breath. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was. It takes it out of me. It does. You really. You guys got have a, uh, an awesome live show and live performance. It's, it's very. Uh, it's very tight, as they would say. It's tight. Thank and- you. Yeah, thank you. Titan Sing. Um, so uh, what are the plans for the rest of the summer? Are you guys going on tour at all? Are you guys looking to get out in the road, eat some food, hang out with some people? Well, we have a show on Saturday at the Brooklyn Bowl. Love that place. So you're going to get some, some food. You, oh, they feed you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get a $9 milkshake. Oh, yeah, it's worth it. It is. Uh, get a $9 milkshake. I was talking to John Dwyer, and they were, OCs were about to play there, and I was like, you got better get that nine dollar milkshake and just grab it to me. But you now sh- I can have my own nine dollar milkshake. I think that you should request it to uh, to drink it while playing. And see what happens. 
That sounds awful. I have a steak waiting for me when I got when I get off. Stage. Yeah, <laughs> too bad. I, I think you know we're playing really late. Like, I, I'll at put it two a.m. or something like that. that so. That's the problem with playing there is that like it's like you don't want to eat at three in the morning, but there is the answer, There is no time early enough unless it's the day before to eat your free meal at Brooklyn Bowl when you're yeah, playing. It's yeah. so, but it's so good. It is so good. I'm only, I'm only gonna have like three chicken wings. And I'm gonna play the show. Yeah, well, but it should be fun. It's like that Contora Records like late night thing. Oh yeah, oh and yeah. And it's yeah. like Kevin Barnes is DJing. Oh really? Yeah. Saturday. Fun. Yeah. This is awesome. I, mean, Brooklyn, I will say this about Brooklyn Bowl, and we've said it on here before. We'll say it again. Um, easily one of, like the most like professional, best staff like ever, yeah. as far as like it goes. Like I mean, and and you know the venues yeah, that absolutely. we that we all sometimes go and play, and like from like run the gamut from your hole in the walls out in Bushwick to like. The city, they hands down like have brought, like it's like oh you f- oh you need this great, oh you want this awesome. I couldn't agree more. Can yeah. I say how pumped I was to, to feel air conditioning coasting on my skin on Friday night at DBA? Oh yeah, yeah, it's great, right? Air conditioning. Air conditioning. It's always been there. It's just a little finicky. Yeah, well, not always. Maybe last summer we started, but it was not. It was like intermittent. Now it's pretty good. I mean, I've I've had some sweaty nights, some great nights, and the new state. It's, it, it's it looks good. Thank you. Looks good. Thank you. Uh, how, so how do you, where do you guys fit into the Brooklyn scene? I know that it's so easily to get divided because you guys have – your other projects are easy, much easier to place because you're like, oh, you're in the noise rock and you're in the surf rock and you're in the, blah, blah, and the indie rock. But oh, this yeah. is like – uh, It's yeah. the burp, burp rock? We are, yeah, burp, burp. Um, We don't know. It's too new, but it seems to be kind of – I don't know. I kind of feel like we fit – Kind of naturally in a way because we don't sound like any of the bands that you really see a lot in like our world. But I don't know. I almost feel like everybody kind of is down because of that. Because it's like slightly a breath of fresh air, I hope. You know, instead of your, all right, great. This is, you know, we're really into garage rock, guys. You know, like, I, I don't know. There's, I mean, there's I just did, a lot of the same. So I think anything that's weird or not normal maybe yeah. helps. I think my favorite type of nights for parties are, like, DJs with one band, you know? Yeah. And I feel like with your guys, like, the sound you guys do, it's like you fit, you know. And But that band is also kind of like a DJ set. Like, yeah, they have to keep the energy. we've done that before and it's worked great. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it's that fine line between um, show and party. And one band is a party, two bands are a show. And yeah. it's a totally different approach to, to how you're going out and, like, the way that people are, like, engaged or, or paying attention. So, I, you know, I think that you guys fit. But I, well. And I think that you guys will pair nicely with, like, Bake Sale, who'd up you, who is definitely a v- yeah. Vivian Girls-esque inspired Memphis quartet. Hell what, yeah. Why don't we get another we song? Great. Th- those girls were great. Let's get another great song. Great guitar playing. Yeah. Another song? Yeah, yeah let's get another, another song. Guitar. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we got the Immaculates playing live on Snacky Tunes. Uh, big shout out to Zoe Shack. Happy birthday, Zoe. Here we go. Take it away.
damn. That is... Sorry, so you have the biggest smile on your face when you're drumming. That's because I made a mistake. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh. Is that it? Hey, uh, hey Greg, like way to call him out. Oh, I was like, man, he looks so happy. So I, I, with all that movement, I can see why you chose not to eat pizza before... The yeah. performance. Yeah, it's gonna be good after though. Pizza was a bad choice. The so, beer was good. The beer, the beer will just loosen, uh, loosen those limbs up. I think yeah, we have yeah. keep up those pipes. We, we, Mace, we should go to Mason Premier later today and get some oysters and beer. I mean, I listened to last. I was I was running today listening to last week's episode because I wasn't here and I was like, dollar oysters sounds what, awesome. Did you, get, did you get that off our podcast archive? Where, where are their dollar oysters? Uh, right, right. Okay. Yeah, no, oh, Mason, Mason, Mason Premier does dollar oysters from four to seven every day, and it's not just like. Like those kind of stringy oysters. little poopy oysters, it's like their menu. Stringy little poopy you, oysters. You know what I'm talking about? Who serves yeah, those? My brother was just at it's some like place. I think he was there, and he said they had or something like that. Yeah. It's like different. They have like but yeah, I haven't been over there, and I love oysters. You're a big yeah. oyster fan. Yeah, what do you guys yeah. eat in this? What do you guys eat in Williamsburg? What's your What's your place? Diner. Diner. For, for like a nice meal, yeah. Well, diner, diner, Marlo and Sons. How about, how about for like a, I'm hungover? Yeah, when you're slumming it. Maybe Taco Chulo. Ooh, maybe best pizza. Those nachos. Best the pizza. Nachos. The nachos. The nachos. The nachos. Yes. Those nachos for the hangover cure. Oh. They have the they have the, pies and thighs. Come on, we're like, have, one biscuit. more thing about their nachos. Their nachos have so much toppings that you have to order extra chips to get all the toppings up. Nowhere else. No. Usually no. it's like a thin layer of topping, and then you're like. You're like, yeah, what is this? We actually like this place that's kind of like off the radar that we'll give love to called Patricia's. Oh, I never it's, heard of that. It's on Broadway between Wythe and Kent. There's like a little alley right there, but it's right on Broadway. It's this old school kind of Italian place. It's newer though, but they have a place in the Bronx and it, it's like it's like family. It's like it's like New York Italian. Is it, you know? is it, is it like? It's like ziti, you know? Okay. Oh, okay. It's like so simple. Like, so, oh, so like red sauce and checkered table It's clock. simple, and it's kind of like not hipsters, you know? So it's kind of fun. To like You're like, I'm right in, you know, but it's like... Oh, uh, I only like going to places where my server's drunker than I am, so... No, <laughs> they are drunk, but uh, yeah. it's like, you Patricia's know... Patricia's on Broadway between white. Yeah, that's it's, right. it's dope. That's right. It's like... Really ever, yeah. Check out that, like, they have, like, some... the cal- They do this calamari where then they put it with, like, banana peppers in, like, a spicy red sauce. Like, you know, stuff like that. It's simple and kind of a, you know, more like... So I, I have a question. Can, can we ask you, what's with all the burger places opening up around all of us? Do you see the new one, Burger Guru, on like North Ace? Yeah. You ever been to Bad Burger? It's really I, bad. It's gross. Is it? Is yeah, it, it yeah. It's like Williamsburg. I mean, I love burger. a good burger, but I feel like we have. I mean, I think Diner's Burger and is, then Dumont Burger. Like, I mean, those burgers are great. And actually, Roebling Tea Room has a really, really good burger yes. too. Is that the one with the English muffin? What's uh, the one? No, no, no. The that's one English uh, muffin. Is pianos so has an English muffin. Pianos. Burger. That one's. Cute. I mean. But, it's like makes pianos worthwhile. It's like. There's a place on North Six. Sweetwater? Yes, yeah. Sweetwater. That that's that's English muffin. Yeah, I just. I, I love the English muffin. I guess, I guess I just don't understand new burger places opening up in that, like, you yeah. know, North Eighth. It's an easy block. sell, I think. Meanwhile, we don't really have a great. Uh, Indian restaurant yes. at all. Oh, uh, no. A place opened up on Grand. It's, it, it's I okay. Oh, I haven't been there yet. You've been there? It's okay. It's all right. But yeah, I mean, a good. I like uh, uh, a good Indian perfect. place would come in and like sweep. I've I've always like yeah. there's that place in North Fit that's I fine. Mean, we can open up a place called Samosas and Dosas or I mean, Killer Dumpling <laughs> Place. Yeah, Killer that's Dumpling Place. We just got the meatball shop. That's cool. And what else? I gotta go to Flushing or over the bridge to get dumplings though. I don't know. It's yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, the Bami place was a nice addition. Yeah, Matoy. Um, oh no, you're thinking of the Bon Mi on Bedford. N- yeah, and you know what? You know what's actually really good Mexican food? The, the one on North Seventh and Bedford. That little truck right next to the Salvation Armor. Uh, I never go there. Their samitas. If you have, if you have no plans for us today, go get, <laughs> go get a samita. It's really awesome. I'm from California, so Mexican food is just different. yeah. That, that's thoughts, thoughts on Dos Toros? 
Um, it's good. It's, uh, like, it's like yeah, okay, that's fine. It's good. No, it's like it's like a good place in California. It's like it's the right style. Yeah, it's good. I like it. And I, I I've only eaten it once, so I can't like really like you know fully. Well, if you come to the barbecue this Saturday. I actually like that place. It's I really like Acapulco or whatever. It's like way up. No, that's not the name of it. It's like, you know where St. Vitus is? Papacito? No, 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 not that place. Do you know where St. Vitus is? Like way up on Manhattan? Yeah, it's right next door to that. Mm-mm. It's so good. It's like on Manhattan, like almost at the end. I mean, I'm a big fan of Calexico, but that's its own thing. Yeah, Calexico is great. I've never yeah, been there. It is good. They just, uh, I think like on Friday night, they, right? they uh, launched mm-hmm. their like late night menu. Oh, cool. You great know, for... Uh, you know yeah. when you're hungry. So we're uh, we're running short on time, so we want okay, to make cool. sure we get all the uh, the Twitter handle website thing and get one more song in. Okay, so cool. uh, it's just theimmaculates.com. It's not really that hard. And okay. Twitter? Twitter is the Immaculates. The immaculates. SoundCloud, Twitter, MySpace, Facebook. Twitter. SoundCloud is I Immaculates. Face- I think the Immaculates on Facebook is a white rap group. Yeah, we don't we don't know that. It's not. But, but that's not side a side 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 side, side, side yeah. project. Yeah, yeah. Um, Matt puts his hair in corners. SoundCloud is just immaculates. Okay. Um, and then uh, when's the next show uh, after Brooklyn Bowl? Anything? It's another one at Brooklyn Bowl in, the... in September. Oh, you guys doing a little re- little planning, residency? We're planning a tour right around August. From no, Death by Audio to we're, to we're doing Brooklyn a seven Bowl. inch and a tour in, in October. And we have a show at Dead Herring. We have a show at Dead Herring coming up, but I don't remember the date. The thirtieth of September. Awesome. Well, you can get all the information there. Hey, guys, thank you so time. much. Thank you. Thanks for bringing yeah. this gr- a drum set up and looking dapper and hanging out. Uh, thanks and, uh, to uh, Noah Ray. Noah Ray for... My tie matches my drum set. Oh, I noticed I all your ties match. Uh, thanks to no one. No, no. No think... Ray from Mile End, uh, citywinery.com for all information for the barbecue blowout this Saturday. And guess Mile what? Uh, Mile End's going to be there. Dos Toros, Mexicu, Van Dag, Kraft, Kraft, Mamafuco, Mamafuco, Punches, uh, Computer Magic, Ducky, Mild, Midnight Magic. And guess what? <laughs> the best part about the barbecue happening next Saturday is that you never have to hear us push it again until next summer. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's actually, I, I, I'm excited for it, but it'll be nice to take a verbal break from it. I'm eating those Mile End sandwiches every Sunday. Oh, rule. I know. Uh, and also tonight, uh, Punches is playing at Westway, and then Thursday night we're playing at Tammany Hall with... Uh, French Horn Revelium and um, Lodo. It's nice to Flava Party. The Flava Party. I think, Flava's I, I, party. I think they're going to be dancers, actually. I'm pretty sure they uh, they sent a flyer and they said 1230 surprise, and it's not. It's not Terry out of a cake. It's not Terry out of a cake. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. Snacky we got tunes. the boys from TV Disco on next week. And the food guest is um, Lauren Dean. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. She's great. She's a fantastic uh, television producer. All right, boys. Take us. What's this last song called? It's called That Sound. That Sound. All right. The Immaculates on Snacky Tunes. Here we go.
program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.